price. Ah, the fresh. But what rate? What is the charge? Eating a meal? A succulent Chinese meal? I'm here, Papa. Yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Falcon. First listen to the animal man, the Snoopy Snoopy poop dog. My wife hated me being a firefighter. We were divorced nine months later. If you don't mind my saying, I don't like your attitude one bit. Inspired. Six times I've now ruined my whiskey. I'm under what? I just want to do whatever serves the corporation best. Good night, Mr. Wanton. Good night. Gentlemen, this is Democracy Manifest. Keeping our heads above the sand and recording from a luxury gondola in the Cloud District, high above Smogville. It's World Champion Podcast Season 3, Episode 5. My name is Brighton. And I am Sean. We're two gentlemen who signed a lucrative contract with the mysterious Senor Oro del Burro. Now we have the pleasure of recording the greatest podcast in the world. We talk about anything and everything we feel like. Forgotten and remembered corners of pop culture, other mysteries of the world. You never know what you're going to hear on this show. Unless we tell you in advance, which we did this week. Speaking of hearing, you can hear Uh Halloween in the air. You can hear it in the air. That's I've never heard that before. Yeah, it's they they say it's just the wind blowing Uh, through uh, the trees up here uh, on Mount Smogville, but it sounds eerily like yeah, that that, there that creaking door. What's that creaking door up here? Like I I don't know where there's a door out in the Ah, forest. Ah ah. No, there's. Uh, Senor Oro del Burro has assured me that's just the wind in the trees. Yeah, it's... including the cackling, including the the, howl, the howling of the, some sort of wolf. Uh, yeah, yeah. Brains. yeah the, the 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 person calling for brains apparently is just an owl. That's so, what he. Yeah, but an, owls themselves are pretty spooky. Yeah, well, they got a lot of questions. You know, <laughs> they have so many questions. <laughs> They will steal your Tootsie Pop. Right. But for, for science. Yeah. Because they, they, need, they, they, they need answers. They got questions. They need answers. That's my least favorite kind of owl is the uh, recent graduate owl. Oh, yeah. Wearing his cap still, and gown. Still wearing that graduating cap. That's how you know they're smart because they graduated. And, <laughs> and the glasses. Haven't, and haven't changed their clothes since. Yep. <laughs> Smug bastards. I know. Oh, yeah. boy. All right. So week three of Stephen King month. And we have, as you knew last week, as we told you, we're doing Creep Show. Creep Show. Stephen King Month involves us discussing some of his lesser adaptations, or rather, lesser adaptations of his work. Infamous, perhaps. True. Uh, last week, we did Maximum Overdrive. That's what kicked it all off. Because if you want something done, you got to do it yourself. Yeah. If you want it done right. <laughs> exactly. Here's <laughs> something freaky I learned, though. Maximum Overdrive, the day that the, the comet passes mm. over, the day it all starts was June 19th. Mm-hmm. And it was in 1999, on June 19th, that Stephen King was struck by that van and nearly killed. And June 19th is also, well, later on in this episode, when we talk about the crate segment, whatever that was called. Oh, yeah. That was found, found on, or shipped back to the U.S. on June 19th, 1863. Yeah. And I think June 19th was the release date of The Phantom Menace. Whoa. No, May 19th. <laughs> yeah, but the 19th. Even weirder. Even stranger. Like, why wasn't it coming out on June 19th? Yeah. That, that's, you know, that's, the owl wants to know about that, too. Tug's birthday, Tugboat, our faithful dog who, who gets us out of trouble, his birthday is actually June 19th. Boy, we haven't really talked about 
tugboat and how he's adapting to the gondola. Well, he made it. He made it out of the Ferris wheel. He leapt. He leapt out and just and did a little dog flip as they do. Yeah, he actually has his own tiny gondola that's on the <laughs> wire. Yeah, a little bit behind. A little us. bit far. We're waving to him right now. I think he can see us. He's got so many treats in there. He's just looking out the window with his tongue hanging out. Yep. His little crown on sideways. It's pretty adorable. But June nineteenth, happy Stephen King birthday to you and everyone. There you go. So Creep Show uh, 1982, directed by legend George A. Romero. Written by Stephen King. Only uh, one of them was based on one of his short stories. No, The Crate and The Lonesome Death of Jody Verrill were based on his short stories. The others were original works. uh, Written for the film. Yeah. How many were there total then? So The the Crate, The Lonely Death of Jordy LaForge, whatever Uh, you said it was. Jordy Verrill. Something to tide you over. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I know, know which one that is. <laughs> yeah. The crate, they're creeping up on you, and then the prologue and epilogue. Okay, so four kind of segments. Each yeah. one about 15 minutes, then, I yeah, guess. Five, well, five oh, no, segments. Half. Oh, five. Five stories. An anthology film. Five unrelated stories that vary wildly in tone. <laughs> True. That was interesting. To say the least. Yeah. Yeah. But the format is a comic book, which was great. Yeah, this is really interesting. It's it's aping the uh, 50s, 60s horror comics mm-hmm. from EC Comics, like Tales from the Crypt. Uh, Creepy was one. I don't think Creep Show was a real one. No. But like Vault of Horror. And then Tales from the Crypt came out maybe six or seven years after this. On HBO? Yeah. Yeah, or, or maybe even earlier, maybe pretty close to yeah, this. Yeah, maybe it was. That, that had a... That, that sort of, those horror comics had a big revival. And those things are truly gruesome. Are they pretty gruesome? They're messed up. I can't yeah. remember if I've read them. Well, read, uh, everyone should read The Tencent Plague, which okay. is the book about oh, yeah. the uh, congressional hearings about the dangers of comic books. Yes, that's on my to, to read list for sure. Yeah, you should get to that. It's pretty quick. It's a quick read. But uh, yeah, this stuff was really brutal. That said, I don't know that Congress needed to get involved. <laughs> And I don't know that reading it made you go <laughs> chop. What's like, in that old documentary where the kid reads a comic book and then goes and starts book. chopping a tree down? Yeah, no, he takes out his pocket knife and starts stabbing a tree. Oh, and yeah. then they get like root beers or, or, or something and they break the tops of the bottles off and start yeah. drinking out of the jagged glass and their mouth is bleeding. And then doesn't he throw a rock on a kid's head? Yeah, oh yeah. Like it's, a boulder? It's, he smashes a kid's head with a boulder? Yeah, that's a bunch of kids out in the forest reading uh, comic books. Yeah. So that's I, I love those propaganda films. Yeah. You know? the, the, the Congress one or the committee or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. C- committee for, I don't remember what it's called. Committee for Reasonable Children. <laughs> yeah. Protecting Our Youth. They, they're, they're always around in some form or another. I know. ACDC music, Dungeons and Dragons, Harry Potter, Ouija boards. It's funny how terrified there certain people are of really dumb things. Yeah. Can you imagine being really, really upset by comic books or Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah. Or even rock and roll. It's Just it's rock and roll in general. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the co- to be fair, these comic books were brutal, but then it's this idea of like, no, this thing that I'm not interested in needs to be <laughs> appropriate. Like, I'm, I'm not going to ask my child what he's reading. Are you kidding me? It's... I just need to be, I just need to trust that if he finds a dime. Uh-huh. He's only going to buy Superman. I don't know because eating I, soup. I feel like I feel like the the tales from the crypt there's nothing more american than that. Like all american boy, all I wanted as a kid. By by the time I was eight, 7 or 8, all I wanted to do was watch like uh 
like horror movies and zombie movies and like from probably 10 to now, I would say that's all I've liked. That's interesting. See, I was just such a big scaredy cat that I was not into that. I, really? I would actively avoid these kind of things. And, and again, to be fair, those old comics, they're, they're brutal. Yeah. So good for them for what? doing that. Uh, Tales from the Crypt debuted in 1989 and ran for seven years. Oh, it's pretty close. So, yeah, and I did actually watch a lot of those, mm-hmm. and they always made me feel dirty. <laughs> they were gross, man. You're supposed to, right? I guess so. I never got that little adrenaline thrill, though. You just felt weird. I just felt weird. I just watched The Exorcist for the first time. That's right. It's a good movie. It is good. Do yeah. you like it? Oh, boy, yeah. It's... it's <laughs> I, I try to imagine the, the baby-faced public of 1970. I thought it was 79. Is it se- no, earlier? 73. 73? Yeah. People were vomiting, like fainting, running out of the theater. What an awful year that was. Like <laughs> Vietnam and Nixon and Watergate. And then you, the gotta go, and then you go to try to get some escape, and it's the exorcist. <laughs> we're pretty desensitized now. Like some of the horrific stuff seemed really silly. But like, holy shit. Rough year. Rough, yeah, it, it was rough stuff. Um. Anyway, creep show so what is uh, far. It's not not quite in the same league as The Exorcist, <laughs> but it does <laughs> often. You. If it does often make lists of say top one hundred horror films of all time. Does well. So okay. it, it it does it does keep company with that's The Exorcist something. in that regard. Uh, yeah, that's something. It's just lo- a lower number usually. Yeah. On the list, it did have a pretty dynamite cast though. Oh yeah. I think that's yeah. what impressed me the most when I was watching the opening credits and. and and it's a cool little animated comic booky thing yeah. going on, and I'm like, wow, really? So that's the uh, the bookend of the film is a young boy named Billy who, in a pleasant surprise, is played by Stephen King's son, Joe King at the time. But that's Joe Hill. He has changed his name to Joe Hill. He wrote Lock and Key, one of the easily greatest comic book series of all time. Yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. Yeah, top five. The whole series, j- just from beginning to end. Yeah. And it does have a, a story that continues and has an end. Mm-hmm. So if you're comic book curious out there. Yeah, read that for sure. Yeah. I'm sure well. a lot of our listeners just bring back good memories just hearing us say lock and key. Yeah, lock and key. Lock and they're and like, key. just talk about comics again some more. <laughs> we sort of are. Yeah. Creep show uh, is comic book format. Yeah. Can I do another aside and point out, speaking of comics, that the, our local comic book store, where we would used to go every Wednesday when we were Wednesday Warriors, mm-hmm. uh, some, some girl drove into it. Mm-hmm. Almost knocked the whole damn thing over. They, the building got condemned. The whole building? Well, that part of it. Really? Yeah. Because <laughs> there was so much structural damage that it's like, this isn't a safe building for humans to occupy anymore. Wh- all the comics got knocked off the shelf. I know. That was the a heartbreaking thing to see. When you saw the photos of all the comics on the floor, you're thinking, yeah. what's the resale value? It's, yeah, it's dropped. How, how are those going to CGC now? <laughs> exactly. 9.8 at best. Wait a minute. Has this comic been in a car accident? Wait a minute. There's some structural damage on this comic <laughs> the book. spine here. <laughs> the spine. Yeah. So did they find out what the deal was with this, this crazy driver? No, they said it was a young girl going very, very fast. Uh, someone said she was texting. Fast. But, I mean, to hit it, you're, it looks like it hit the back of the building, right? It hit the side, that left side, where there's like 10 feet worth of parking lot. Yeah. And some grass. Um, yeah. I couldn't figure out how she hit it exactly. Yeah. I'm going to have to have a recreation, one of those like 3D. One of those animation things. Animation things that are on, on Dateline or something. Or, you know, there's always those weird ones that come from Thailand or, or something. Oh, from yeah. Asia. yeah. And usually they'll throw Spider-Man and the Hulk in those. <laughs> yeah. So now it makes in sense. The background. Yeah. They'll have that little baby from Ally McBeal dancing. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so that'll that'll help out. Yeah, that'll help us understand. Uh, so yeah, so he's uh, little Joe Hill. He's reading a comic book. His dad thinks that is just crap. Mm-hmm. Throws it away. Billy, aka Joe Hill, is not happy and hopes his father rots in hell. Yeah. Then a cartoon ghost is out the window, and we get our cool uh, cartoon opening credits. I loved it. I loved it so much. Um. So my notes don't make any sense. I think I was in a weird frame of mind when I watched this. My first note is, holy shit, Ed Harris. Right. No, that was my first thought. Is, yeah. uh, my brain is, is barely above screensaver mode <laughs> as I'm watching this. And yeah. suddenly you see this baby face, little baby boy, and it's Ed Harris. Yeah, a little, like, 31-year-old Ed Harris. Is that he's how still, old he is? Yeah, he still, look still looks 50. He's just not as craggy. Well, it's, he's such a weird age. He was born 50, and he'll die 50. Yeah. Because, like you said, he's baby face. I call it, I texted this to you. We call it George Costanza syndrome. Yeah. Because we've had conversations about how George Costanza, when, how old is he when they started Seinfeld? I think he was 30. I think Seinfeld 30. Goes, he goes from 30 to 40. 30. So the same yeah. age as like some of the actors on CW TV shows right now. Yeah. And that's George Costanza, the, the typical old, old male, old middle-aged male, the way I thought of him. And uh, Michael Chiklis, the commish? Yeah. Same thing. Yeah, so... so when was the commish on? He was... Because um, he also had that kind of Costanza vibe going. Right. The commish debuted in 1991, so he was also... Good He Lord. was 28 when he was the commish. Which is like the same age as Monica and Friends, and I would not think of those two people as colleagues, <laughs> right, as peers. Right. So Ed Harris, even I just saw Mother. Which, speaking of Halloween movies, you want to watch a really fucked up movie? Go see Mother. I, I loved it, but oh, it was the, uh, it was it made it made you feel like you're going mentally ill. Is it Aronofsky? Darren Aronofsky? Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. It's it's like it's like a, a movie version of a panic attack. <laughs> Great is what it feels like to watch it. Yeah, it just gives you stress the entire time. But Ed Harris is in that, and he must be like seventy-five now. Like, I but but he looks basically the same. Yeah, this this was only his third or fourth film role, mm-hmm. probably his highest profile one. And yeah, he's skinny, but he's still unmistakably Ed Harris and kind of weird looking. And he's and he's got this hog wife. <laughs> I, I was kind of half paying attention to the, the conversation. I didn't understand. The There's I a lot of this movie I, I could not understand. I couldn't figure out what the dynamic was with his family. Is he in the family? There's like two couples and then an older woman. And she's telling him some story about, about a Father's Day murder of a woman that killed her, her, her father. But who was the woman? Was that their, their mother or their aunt or something? She was really upset about the hog wife. She just sat in front of the couple screaming yeah. about how he has a hog wife. Right. And then the couple kept putting on disco records and just continually dancing. Yeah, just constant disco. And I just, ha- I just could not figure out, what was this like a, a party or was this a family dinner? I wasn't sure. Okay, let's see. I'm glad you were confused. <laughs> I was so Because con- I, I didn't know what the hell was going on. I was confused by a lot of this. Okay, Ed Harris is not part of the family. Okay, so, so it's... Um, Okay, so it's uh, the, the father. So the he's, the stand, Father's he's Day. the stand in for us, for the audience. Exactly. So the father, Nathan Grantham, was murdered by his daughter, Bedelia. Okay. And now his granddaughter is an old lady, and then she, the great grandchildren of this Nathan are these two people and Ed Harris. So Ed Harris is just getting to know the in laws, apparently. 
and learning the story of how Bedelia comes back at, Wait a minute. The at old Father's lady, Day on the, the old, crack of noon. The old lady <laughs> the old lady telling the story is the granddaughter? Yes. I thought the, the lady that killed her, her father was alive though. He Ed yeah. Harris finds a bottle of booze. Yeah, so she's alive. So Bedelia's alive and is coming every Father's Day she comes back to celebrate that she murdered her father on Father's Day. Oh, so it's that old lady's mother? It's her aunt. Her aunt. Okay, yes. okay, okay. I'll get that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> something, you know, this, this is all the, the kind of details that you can't quite flesh out in a 12-minute yeah. Yeah, little short. S- short. But who cares? Because you got disco dancing at Harris. Yes. Oh, I loved it. I don't know. See, this is... I wish you could see, see something objectively at times when you want to. Like, you could erase part of your memory. Because... This is not objective at all, but as watching it, I was like, you can tell he's a better actor. Yeah. You, you, like, you can see glimpses. Even in the disco dancing, I felt like there was glimpses of Ed Harris, how great he is. Yeah. Because even when he was dancing, he looked so comfortable. <laughs> he didn't look like someone acting about dancing. He looked like someone who really was dancing, which sounds like a weird distinction or a weird No, compliment. it does. He just, I mean, he's but he, got that it. He's just natural. He looks so natural, even in this goofy, silly story. Yeah. But then again, is that me adding? Like, am I bringing my own baggage to that? You know? Yeah. Who knows? I mean, because we've talked about this a little bit. Yeah. Probably a little of both. I mean, like so you talked about Seth Green on it. Like you could see a glimmer that he was a little bit better of an actor. Yeah. That's how I felt about Ed Harris here, even though he wasn't given a lot to work with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, one of my notes says "Creep Show," aka "Cigarettes," the movie. Yeah. A lot of cigarettes in this movie. I've been desensitized by Mindhunter. <laughs> oh yeah. If you watch that, uh, the the actor that's in Fight Club, I forgot his name. It's like, oh, uh, Brad Pitt. Yeah, Brad. No, he's like the bigger Brad Pitt. He's like one of his henchmen. It's his. It's Jim in in Mind Hunter. He. My point being, one of the main characters in Mind Hunter smokes literally in every scene he's on screen. The entire ten ten episodes. The the older guy that's like yeah. The, oh, the detective. Yeah. Oh, I don't remember him from Fight Club. But I guess he was, yeah. Well, a lot of people don't remember Fight Club the way I remember it, <laughs> as, as like the defining moment of my life. Right. <laughs> um, I, I love that he's wandering around the cemetery at, at night, and it's all foggy. Mm-hmm. He finds an open bottle of Jim Beam, what and he literally hell? he looks at it and what? then looks around and then shrugs. <laughs> that's that's always what I do when I find garden whiskey. What would you do, though? I thought about that, because my first reaction was like, Jesus. And then I was thinking, maybe I would actually drink if I found a bottle of booze. It's, cl- it's sterilized, right? I guess I'd smell it. I would look for debris inside of it. Did he not even I'd do that? I'd check the rim. I thought he gave it a good look. He, yeah, I think he did, actually. So, so never mind. I'm gonna he, take a he did off. the right thing. Yeah. yeah, he did the right thing, I would say. And plus, it's kind of a fun story. Yeah. I found a bottled beam in the graveyard. Here it is. And Out I'm of drunk. swig. Yeah. Yeah, it's very Jack Kerouac or something, right? Yeah. I don't know who. That's Ernest Hemingway would do that. Yeah. <laughs> Bukowski. All sorts of Bukowski. all sorts of notable historical scumbags <laughs> would do that. <laughs> Jim Morrison would do that. <laughs> he would. Another scumbag. Yeah. Every, every, all the all the celebrated scumbags. <laughs> and and so would we. So right. I, hopefully we'll <laughs> Well, that's a prestigious group to be with. So don't Yeah. You know. Those are a lot of beautiful scumbags. <laughs> totally. Uh, anyway, something about a Father's Day cake and a zombie that wants cake. This, all through this film, there is the people paralyzed by fear. Yeah. There's so many characters that are getting, getting in a scary situation, 
and it cuts to their face about four separate times as they look at something in horror. Which was very much like um, the It miniseries, too. Yeah. Just, just having a, you're just frozen in fear. Yeah. Because Ed Harris, when, when the, the tombstone gets pushed on him, at any point, all he'd have to do is one sit-up. <laughs> yeah. In, in the course of probably 45 seconds, <laughs> yeah. he wouldn't have died. No, but just two pairs. Was it almost bothering you? It was, Of him yeah. just looking up yeah. at the tombstone in horror? Yeah. As it's getting slowly inched Very, toward, very slowly. Slowly inched over to be pushed on his head? Yeah. But that, that's, uh, that happens uh, time and time again in this show. I guess it's easy to criticize, but I imagine that's what I would, my, my quick thinking. I'd be laying there just looking at this thing going, I'll bet that's big enough to kill that's me. That's true, but we hold Ed Harris to a higher standard. That is true. He's an Oscar winner. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, okay. So the next one uh, stars Stephen King himself, looking very young, looking very... Wait, we're not going to talk about what out. happens at all? Oh, I don't know. Go for it. It's a big... So the, the zombie, I guess, grandfather... Great-looking zombie. It was a cool zombie. Yeah. He comes back, and he wants a cake that he never got on Father's Day. Kills everyone, and then puts someone's head on a cake. Sylvia, the the whose head the, was it? The, the granddaughter. Why did he, why did he kill her? What'd she have to do with it? Well, they're all just there for his trying to the cursed bloodline. Split up his inheritance. Oh yeah, just money grubbing. Oh, that's right. They are pretty bad. They're characters. not there to mourn. They are pretty awful characters. Yeah. At the end, he gets his birthday cake. So it's a happy ending, I guess, in this case. Yeah, he, puts he gets, a, gets a head his, cake. His granddaughter's head on a platter and puts a candle in it. Yeah. I didn't know yeah. Father's Day cakes were a thing. Well, you failed. <laughs> I guess so. You failed as a son. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in the next one, Stephen King is looking very filled out. Yes. Um, and we learned between this and Maximum Overdrive... Apparently, there is nothing funnier to him than a really dim-witted, cartoony hillbilly. Cartoonish. Totally cartoon. Like, go? Yeah, like, this is, this is like, uh, I don't know, like Lil Abner or something. Just, just as cartoonishly hillbilly as you can get. It's, like, inspired by the old Mountain Dew ads. Yeah. <laughs> so, what's his character's name again? Jordy, Jordy Verrill. Jordy Verrill, hillbilly. Backwoods uh, yokel. Yeah, and, and such a hillbilly, he doesn't wear shoes. He, he has that stereotypical, again, almost c- like cartoons. If you drew a cartoon of a hillbilly. Yeah. Uh, bib overalls. It is, though. It is like a Mad Magazine kind of thing. Oh, it, I guess that's I guess, true. It fits with that's the tone of, of what they're trying to go for. And that's probably what they were doing, because that gets to the, the get it, uh, talking about tone, it gets to my next point about a very understated performance by Stephen King. <laughs> very nuanced. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So that was he was doing he was going for like comic book right there. Maybe right? I don't know. It just reminds me of old like Jack Davis Mad Magazine stuff. It kind of does. And I guess we we haven't mentioned if you haven't seen this that each segment sort of it starts by zooming in on a comic book panel. Yeah. And then it ends with a freeze frame that transitions to a comic book and sort of an epilogue. And there's usually moments throughout each short where something horrible will happen and it'll it'll show the panel around the person screaming and the colors will get really primary colors. Yeah. It's really cool. Like, yeah, it's a it had cool a technique. great look. Yeah, but and it even had the ads for X-ray specs and like mm-hmm. the like the guy that gets buff because he gets sand kicked in his face. Oh yeah, we're, all gonna, that we're stuff. gonna get to that. Oh good, we're gonna get to Charles Atlas. <laughs> so yeah, the transition from that to this is just comic book pages turning in a beautiful cartoon. Um, so a meteor crashes on his farm, mm-hmm. his dirt farm, 
<laughs> and he is fantasizing about selling the meteor to pay off his bank loan. Right, his mortgage, right? Yeah, and he, there's a nice scene where he's at the bank with his meteor. Yeah, this is where you can address tone for the first time, because this is a departure from the first little short. Yeah. Which was not... It, it was pretty straight-ahead horror, right? Yeah. This, it, it, he's playing it for laughs. Stephen King is be, going cross-eyed and all kinds of stuff. It's like Jerry Lewis finds a meteor, you know? Yeah. Oh, J- big-time Jerry Lewis. <laughs> That's definitely the vibe. Um, wow, yeah. And then basically he just starts messing with it. The meteorite cracks in half. And then he has another fantasy about how no one's going to buy his meteor now. Yeah. Like, or is it meteorite? What should I be calling this? I think it's a meteorite when it's in the ground. I don't okay. know. We're go- I'm going I don't f- fucking know. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> a rock. Yeah, space rock. Space rock. Cracks open. A bunch of awesome glowing green juice pours out. Or it's blue at first. And then... And then it becomes glowing green and he gets a little bit on it. He burns his fingers when he touches the meteorite for the first time. Go, you know, it's just something that's really funny is as goofy as this was for me, when I was a kid and saw this, this, this is one short that really freaked me out. I literally could not watch it this time. Really? I, I listened to it. I was not looking at the screen. I am grossed out and horrified by any sort of body transformation, weird, skin deformity things really so when this guy is slowly turning into a plant Mm -hmm. and he looks like a normal person with a beard of grass i was like gagging i'm gonna have nightmares about this i have had nightmares so like moss and stuff starts all kind of plant life starts hatching out of his skin and growing on him and he can't get rid of it yeah and that oh god it's just the 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 most nightmarish thing i could ever think of it's pretty bad i'd rather watch a hundred saw movies than this short again because and that horror in your imagination is enough for my memory of this to not match up with what the reality. Cause I was like, geez, I, like I remembered this being a terrifying segment. I didn't remember it being so incredibly silly, at least with the, the, like his goofy memories and yeah. Stephen King's performance, which is just so over the top, but it, it is a horrifying idea. Eventually he becomes giant. He's like taking up his whole house with his big tree, mossy persona. It's just everywhere. It's growing everywhere. Yeah. But he, he himself, isn't he like filling up the whole living room? Oh, I didn't. Or was I just confused like I was by almost all of this movie? I didn't, I didn't take it that way. Oh, I just okay. thought that it spread everywhere. And he had just grown on everything. Yeah. And he does manage to die. Yeah, he puts a shotgun in his mouth and blows. And he's saying, please, God, let, let me die and stuff. And yeah. it was, you know, when I watched it at like eight years old, it, was <laughs> it really kind of upset me. Yeah, it upset me now. <laughs> I, I'm, I don't want to say how old I am, but let's just say older than Ed Harris. <laughs> or young George Costanza. Yeah, I'm older than young George Costanza. Born old. He was born 40. He yeah. wasn't, Ed Harris was born 50. George Costanza was born 40. Yeah. Just happens. Happens to people. Yeah, it does. Same anyway. with Ted Danson. Oh, yeah. God. It, <laughs> and Leslie Nielsen. This was the weirdest one. So the this next one. So weird. It's called uh, Something to Tide You Over. Mm-hmm. And it's set up like kind of a classic noir mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's, it thro- and it throws you right into the middle. Yeah. Because it just, it, it, Leslie Nielsen's at the door talking to Ted Danson. And, and it, this is, you know, stuff's already happening. Yeah, he's, uh, and I don't understand, he, Wentworth, t- played by Ted Danson, owed him money or something? 
I think he owed him money, but also he was banging his his wife, right? Like Leslie Nielsen's wife. Oh, was that it? Yeah. Yes. Or, or, oh, okay. He was his wife's mistress. Okay. Yeah. So it was just like a love triangle. And at first blush watching, watching this, you're like, oh, it's so goofy. Leslie Nielsen's going to take him out. And he, he no, has this was the best point. one. Yeah. It was a good one. Yeah. yeah but I mean... I guess I, I keep comparing my childhood memory of of the skits or whatever you call them shorts to how they are. And this one, as a kid, I didn't really like. I thought it was it was all right. Yeah. But it w- it wasn't one that I that I really looked forward to. But as an adult, this is maybe the most terrifying one. Yeah. And then here's the insane thing: is the, really aside from uh, Becky, the wife who we see on a TV screen, the only characters in this are Ted Danson and Leslie Nielsen. Two. World-renowned funny men. <laughs> yes. And so I kept waiting for it to get silly. Right. But they're both playing it completely straight. Yeah, because we're coming off the heels of a super silly, even though it was scary, Stephen King's performance was so silly. Yeah. So you're thinking, oh, this is... And when you see... Oh, it just makes me wish that, that I was young, like a young man at the time it came out, like I was 25 years old, because yeah. we know... People our age know Leslie Nielsen as, as Naked Gun in every silly movie under the sun. Yeah. But he did have a full career before that. And that's why it as worked so As a dramatic so well. actor. Yeah. But I mean, you and I are sitting there waiting for this to get silly. Just a big part of it because of him yeah. as an actor. But this is before he'd been doing Naked Gun and all that stuff. I think Airplane was a few years earlier, but, but maybe but not. But that was maybe his first silly film. It's like when... I don't know, some serious actor does a silly f- film for the first time. Yeah, because I mean, that was the whole thing. It's like if, if you made a comedy starring, if you made a zany, off-the-wall, goofy, surreal comedy, and it stars Liam Neeson, Ed Harris, right. and Tommy Lee Jones. Right. And that's what Airplane was with Robert Stack and Lloyd Bridges. And oh, it's so brilliant. I love it. It's a really it's good the movie. the best. And, and, and that was the first of its kind, of this new kind of surrealist, insane humor, yeah. right? Yeah, so that was a couple years before. So he does Airplane in 1980. And then after that, he's still, he's still doing serious movies. But I, I mean, guess uh, Police Squad, the that, show, The Naked Gun, that was from the 70s. I love Police Squad, too. But yeah, but it's so weird. I mean, Ted Danson yeah, is this just is being pre- kind of a brash... This is before Cheers, right? Or yeah, so Cheers debuted in the fall of 1982. This film premiered at Cannes no. in, the, in the summer of 1982. Wow. And then it was released in November. But Cheers wasn't a hit yet. And like Cheers famously bombed the first year, so no one knew who Ted Danson was. And same with the Naked Gun stuff about Leslie Nielsen. Like he was yeah. not. So when you s- seeing this, you and I see Ted like go- two goofballs, yeah. ready to get funny. But at the time when it came out, you're just seeing actors. Just, just seeing actors. You're just seeing yeah. actors do a part. Um, I I really like Ted Danson, even though I I his look always has kind of disturbed me. He looks like. He looks like Guy Smiley from Sesame Street. <laughs> yeah, he does. Like he's kind of looks he like really a, a Muppet version of a human. I was thinking if Harrison Ford was on Human Growth Hormone. Yeah, and well, had like an elongated jaw and a, a big brow, or or if weird you, poofy hair. If you took the story of Pinocchio and it was like a Ken doll that wanted to be a real yeah, boy. Yeah. Like if you turned a, a a Barbie Ken doll into a human, it would look like Ted Danson. Yeah. He's a really likable guy. I always, I always like talented. Him he, yeah. He's definitely he's great. strange oh, he's just looking. Great, yeah. He's a cartoon version of a human. Yeah, famous, famous wig wearer. Yeah, uh, I know you got some glim- glimpses of his bald spot in this yeah. in this part, and I was thinking, yeah. wow, this is real early. 
No, I always remember he was famous. He won an Emmy for Cheers, and he wasn't wearing his wig, and everyone was like, what the fuck? Really? Yeah. I've never so he went to that. accept it, and he's just like... Just Ted Danson. Just a scraggly Ted Danson bald guy. He, I mean, you know, he was born probably 40. Oh, yeah. He's always been... How old like, do you think he was in this skit? Uh, I think he was about 35, so older than Ed Harris. <laughs> okay. But still, he's, he's just so like masculine that it's weird. Like, yeah. His, all his chest hair. Every and his... single man looked like Tom Selleck in 1980. Yeah. Like, genetically. They, yeah. Their entire chest was hairy. They just had... They, yeah, I don't know. you know, full st- thick st- mustache. <laughs> yeah, dimpled chins. Dimpled chins. It was a dimpled chin epidemic. It was. Like, what's happening? It's, like, it's like when you look at, at photos of, they think medieval people were all like five feet tall and stuff. Oh yeah. It was like in 1980, everybody was Ted Danson. Yeah. <laughs> like all of them, or Tom Selleck. Oh man, there's so many examples. We could put together a collage. I know you really could. I was just. Yeah. But uh, so this story is so great. So he gets buried up to his neck. Yeah. And then he's forced forced to watch a video of his lover suffering the same fate and drowning as the tide comes in. As the tide comes in. But the tide's coming in a little earlier for her. So he gets to watch his lover drown. Yeah. And then he's going to drown. And Leslie Nielsen's a little bit of a a film nut. (laughs) Yeah. Because he's got cameras all over his house. Yeah. So after he lets Ted Danson drown and this woman drown, he goes back home. To his highly secure house with with surveillance surveillance cameras in every room uh-huh. to drink and laugh to basically <laughs> drink a, a a glass of sprite and laugh <laughs> and then take a shower not take a shower <laughs> but I'm I'm right in the middle of the Mind Hunter audiobook oh, so yeah. thinking I was trying to imagine this being a real life scenario and seeing my girlfriend drown and myself drown I'm like this is so terrifying it was absolutely it, and then you watch the way Leslie Nielsen acts and this is so much like a sociopath. Mm-hmm. So he he's not only like not feeling remorse of any kind or guilt, but he's feeling great. I just I just heard a podcast about a kid who murdered three other kids and then he went and got a Philly cheesesteak sandwich. Yeah, it's, those, it's just you like you hear those stories all the time. They they just don't care. It's so fast. I've always been fascinated by psychopaths and sociopaths just because I try to imagine not being like. I'll do something. I'll forget to hold the door for, for a woman as she's leaving a building or something. And then that night I'll lay in bed, replaying yeah. it in my mind, just, just racked with guilt. Yeah. Like, why? I, 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 she thinks I'm such an asshole. I can't I, believe I, I did this. Yeah. Why did I pretend I didn't see her? Right. And, and I'm laying up at night thinking about a stupid thing I said. Yeah. While this guy just drowned his lover, drowned another guy, and then went home, had a glass of Sprite, and just <laughs> laughed. Laughed and took a shower. It was so scary when Ted Danson's screaming for help, and then... Leslie Nielsen starts screaming for help. Also. Oh, it's so great. That was a, Such a nice a burn. touch. Yeah. Oh, but, oh yeah. But I'll help you. But then, did you see this coming? Did you know uh, any of these stories before? Because I remembered all of them. No. Because I'd seen this a bunch of times. No, all I remember from this movie is just Ted Danson's head in the sand. That's so, literally the only thing. So each one of these stories w- was a surprise. Mm-hmm. So you didn't, you didn't see the zombie coming on Father's Day? No, I thought, and I thought this one, I thought that was the story, was... That mm-hmm. they had this horrible oh, that drowning. Was the end. Yeah, I that was the end. Yeah. It is. It is. They do have a, a couple left turns or swerves. Like, yeah. and this is one of them because you do think that's it, and that's and, it, and that's fine. Like, it, if it ended there, that's a fine story, but they continue. With is it a knock at the door? No, the house starts filling up with like steam or something. Yeah, and it gets mood lighting. It, it, yeah, it, starts, it, does. it starts morphing into a haunted house. It does. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's just the wind through the trees, man. Don't worry about it. Just I the want your the tre- blood. It's just, the, you know, it's not metamor- It's just a forest. It can't change. <laughs> yeah. It's wind. So they show up, these zombies covered in seaweed. These yeah. blue, craggly, thriller-looking zombies. They looked pretty great, but the best part of it was the gurgling. Yeah. Like their lungs were filled with, with, with water. Because I thought that was such an effective, creepy thing. Because you are just sort of seeing silly zombies. And yeah. S- and I guess it's, it's scary. It, that stuff doesn't scare me, but... But, I mean, it's it's not quite up to Walking Dead nowadays, par. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it might not even be up to Thriller, but it's it's, it's still pretty, pretty good. good. It's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. But just having this one added touch of their, as they talk, it, there's gurgling from water, I thought was so effective. Yeah. So creepy. So they get their revenge. They bury him. Mm-hmm. And he screams, I can hold my breath for a long time. <laughs> And I guess you got to save face somehow yeah. in that situation. And then he says, don't call me Shirley. Yeah. <laughs> um, then I was also really confused by the next one. So th- this is the crate, right? Yeah. This one, as, as a kid, was probably my least favorite. And I'm not sure why. It's really disjointed. Yeah. And this, this has another swerve in it. Where you think the story's going one way and then you're like... Okay. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't feel like that was even a swerve. It just felt like, why, why did we take so long to get to the crate of the title? Yeah. There's so many scenes of just people like doing normal people stuff, uh-huh. and then this guy keeps fantasizing about murdering his wife. Yeah, so basically, they're call it's two college professors, right? No, they're just uh, they're custodians. They s- Wait, what? Yeah, the two old guys are yeah. custodians. Well, one of, one of them, his buddy, is a professor, and the other one is. Well, wait, no, never mind. They're both two. They're two college professors. Okay, they are right? both professors. See, I was God like janitors. Good yeah. lord, man! No, the jan- it's the janitor that finds the initially right that right, finds right. the crate. Yeah, but it starts out at a party, right? Like a fancy yeah, like, a fancy outdoor party. And there, these two professors are there. One of them's got his awful drunken wife who he hates secretly. Yeah, and, and fantasizes she, about her dying. She really is awful. Let's She's face it. She's pretty bad. Yeah, she can't hold her liquor, or her, or at least her booze makes her mean. She's very mean. Yeah, very, very rude. Right. Uh, so he, and he's having some pretty ala- elaborate fantasies about murdering her, and everyone clapping. Yeah, and everyone clapping. Um, so but this feels like it goes on for a really long time. This might be a, one of the longer ones, maybe. Yeah, sure. and then uh, and then next we're we're going to this crate that was found in the Arctic in eighteen sixty three. Eighteen, yeah, on I think June nineteenth. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I love this part where the guy's peeking in and he goes. And you see these, like, scary yellow wolf eyes looking out at him. <laughs> and he goes, I think there's animals in there. And immediately <laughs> sticks his arm in. He must just be an animal lover. He, he like, wants a blo- a lo- he like wants to him, to- he just thought it was a little puppy well, or something. when you see a puppy, that your first instinct is to pet it. Yeah. You want to pet that puppy. And when you see yellow eyes and fangs, Glowing. and you hear, <sighs> I guess this monster wasn't effective for me. Even as a kid, I just thought it was dumb. It was really silly looking. And here's, here's the fascinating thing for me at least, about memory, is I haven't, pro- you know, I, like I said, I watched this a lot as a kid, but I haven't seen it now in at least 20 years. Mm-hmm. And I had this memory of the crate having two of those monsters in it, and they looked more like those dancing red Muppets on Labyrinth. Oh. Which it was a little bit similar. And yeah. so in my memory, I was sure it was two little red furry monsters. No, it was, it was basically, they even say that it's the Tasmanian devil, and it was basically if Taz had come to life. It looked to me like a werewolf baboon. 
Yeah, that's, that's like a good if a werewolf bit, bit a baboon. Yeah, uh, yeah, actually, that's that's fair. But it makes me question a lot of my memories. That's what <laughs> my my mind started wandering because I was thinking, I'm sure it's two little red wolf things, werewolf things. No, and I was like, oh no. But so then he. So maybe he, I shouldn't have done that police report. Yeah. Oh, it is really goofy looking. It's, it's yeah, funny. it's a werewolf baboon. <laughs> it's dumb looking. It's super dumb looking. I'm and afraid. even as a little kid, I thought it was dumb looking. Yeah. And if you don't, look, don't get us wrong. If we saw this in real life, we'd be horrified. Right, yeah. It, it, would, be, it would be terrifying. <laughs> and the way this, this baboon, where baboon kills people is pretty cool. He sli- he, one guy, he scratches his face and slices yeah. it open. Another guy, what does he do? He does another real gruesome thing. Yeah, some really gross uh, gore. A lot of blood. Here. Yeah, a lot of blood. A lot of blood. But there is a couple scenes of guys just sticking their arm in the crate and then getting shaked around yeah. and pulled in, which, I mean, is nice on the pocketbook if you're making the movie. Yeah. Like. So <laughs> so it was Tom Savini that did the, the makeup on this, and he plays one of the garbage men later. Okay. That makes sense. He probably worked with George Romero a ton. Yeah. Famous, famous special effects makeup guy. He also made the remake of, of Night of the Living Dead, the 1991 Oh, that's right. It's pretty yeah. good. And didn't we... Oh, we sort of talked about that. Did we? I don't remember. We did talk about it at some point in the last eight or nine years. That's true. For sure. We that's recorded, true. like, go out there, you crate diggers. No, we... Uh, it was on the Night of the Living Dead minute that we guessed Oh, was that for it? five episodes. On. Oh, yeah. that's what it was. That's yeah. right. So it was, it was this year, then. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. So, yeah, he uh, writes a weird letter to his wife about... Yeah, the, the other professor. So this is the strangest thing. It was so strange. One of the professors goes to the college where he he watches the janitor get eaten by this baboon thing, and then at someone else maybe, and then he runs to the other professor's house and tells him about what are we gonna do? The, the, I don't know why wouldn't wouldn't they just call the police or something? Yeah, but he well, tells because he's because he's planning. He knows that this deadly beast is how he can <laughs> finally get rid of his lousy wife. Right. It's like what's it it's called? It's a perfect crime. You never, uh, oh, what's the saying? You never, something, an opportunity, uh, I don't know. I screwed it up. Bird in the hand. Yeah, bird in the hand. Uh, you, you know I was a snake when you picked me yeah, up. Yeah, four score and seven years ago and mm-hmm. all that, all this stuff. Yeah. So he tells the other professor, and then this guy, this is, I thought this was such a weird twist. Not, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't see this coming. I thought they were just going to have to deal with the werewolf baboon. Yeah. But one professor drug, does he give him ether? No, he drugs his drink. Yeah. He drugs his drink so the guy will pass out, and then the professor with the, the awful wife hatches this plan. I'm going to write this weird, like, saucy letter. This, this, he basically lures her there with gossip. He tells her that the other professor got one of his students pregnant, mm-hmm. and it just goes on for so long. And then, won't you come help me like old times? <laughs> won't you come down to the basement? <laughs> it's one of the strangest <laughs> lures I've ever... When yeah. he, I thought about that letter for pretty much the rest of the movie. Yeah. Because it was so weird. But it works like a charm. This woman's not going to pass up any kind of ga- gossip, basically, yeah. and heads down to the basement of the college to help out. And then the professor can't find this were-baboon, so he just, just starts shaking her. <laughs> shaking her and making noise. Yeah. Which I love that. Uh, but eventually the weird baboon gets her. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, does the only humane thing. I'll just drown this thing. Right. This hugely scientific, important <laughs> living being. Well, to him, science was less important than getting rid of his awful wife. Yeah. He just hated her. She was pretty bad. 
She was really mean. She berated him a lot. Yeah, a lot she, of belittling. Yeah, very cruel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he throws the crate with the, the monster into some kind of like cratered lake or something. Yeah. I mean, I thought that he, at first they, he was throwing it into like a rock quarry or something. Yeah, it must maybe it was a rock quarry filled with water. Those are always filled with water. Yeah, in movies, it was something like that. And then, what did you make of this final scene of this, where where the two guys are playing chess, and it seems like the professor that killed his wife is trying to assess whether the other professor is going to tell on him. Yeah, that must be it. Because he, because he's basically. You know, he's saying you'll they'll never find her, and he and he says, "What about the crate? Oh, the crate's sunk. He'll never yeah. get out of that crate." Yeah. And in a, a perfect tells from the crypt, an apt ending. Yeah. The last scene is the the were baboon escaping, and presumably headed right for that chest. Right, game. right for it. He's gonna knock those pieces all around. <laughs> he is he is hungry. Maybe he's he, he doesn't normally kill. Maybe it's a very docile creature. He's been in a crate for. Almost 200 years. Yeah, he's been in the crate for hundreds of years. Yeah. He's starving. Once he eats another couple people, he'll, pr- he'll probably, you know, he'll be like a little teddy bear. Yeah, he'll just go out to the woods and be the Keystone Predator. Mm-hmm. He'll, he'll turn into my neighbor Totoro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Except a, a horrible werewolf baboon that, <laughs> that helps a, a little girl. Do some, what, what were they even doing in that? They were just goofing around. Uh, maybe. Flying up to the moon and stuff. <laughs> Getting on weird buses. <laughs> Getting on buses, going to different towns, talking mm-hmm. to witches. Yeah, so that's you know that's that's its real fate. So then we meet uh, this businessman, who, again, if we thought this Adrian Barbeau wife character was cruel and belittling, this oh, guy, yeah. oh sociopath, man, sociopath, right what here. a dick. And and th- he's obviously based on Howard Hughes, right? It must be, because that's that's what I thought of immediately. Howard Hughes and just any sort of tycoon. He's he's. In this very pristine sort of science lab slash apartment. Yeah, it's all white. It's it's quarantine. Not a lot of furniture. It's very futuristic. And this is again, yeah. I keep I keep keep comparing my childhood memory to to watching it. As a kid, I thought this was the most high tech place. <laughs> in, like I couldn't believe how futuristic it was. Oh yeah, I mean he's got cameras to observe things. I, I barely was aware what computers even were. Yeah. And so to see him having the the computer, the clock that reads what time it is and stuff. <laughs> yeah. I just was like, holy cow! Is th- this a science fiction? Oh, and that's that's the world we're living in now. <laughs> so he's terribly afraid of germs and bugs. Mm. He apparently is a a power company tycoon. I wasn't sure. I just I just corporate CEO guy. Yeah, no, he was a power company tycoon because the uh, the power keeps going out. And he's oh. like, if this was my company. Oh, that's what that meant. Okay. I did I did hear him say that, but I wasn't oh, sure. Or maybe not. Maybe he just I just if I ran yeah. the power company. So he's like kind of playing Monopoly, but in real life. I assumed he was, yeah, I assumed that he had tons of companies, that he was just super powerful yeah. and he, he owned all kinds of different, had his fingers in all kinds of different stuff. And he gets that weird phone call of some raspy voiced woman just saying, I hate you. <laughs> and he goes, I don't know who this is. A lot of people hate me. You're going to have to be more specific. It's like, I, you suck. I hate you. I don't, well, no, her, her husband had committed suicide because of him, because he had bought this tycoon he's such had, a ruthless tycoon. He'd, he'd bought his company or something, or hostile takeover, and he was thrilled. He was thrilled to hear that someone had committed them or committed yeah. suicide. Yeah. What does he carry? He's up in his box. Yeah. 
Well, he's it, it was to show what an awful man he was. He enjoyed people dying, and he was he was really rude to the the building manager who was on vacation. He wanted yeah. him to come back from vacation and get rid of these because he sees a cockroach. Get rid yeah. of the, get rid of this cockroach. Mean to the the building. Uh, it's the superintendent yeah. who, but he kind of gets the last laugh. He's like, "Oh yeah, I'll come take a look at that as soon as I'm done with everything else." Right. And what's he gonna do? He's not gonna come out there after him. Mm-hmm. Perfect crime. I know it Pat, is yeah. smart. Yeah, but slowly but surely, not even slowly, very quickly, <laughs> just thousands and thousands of cockroaches come in. Yeah. Um, this is another one where I mostly had to look away. Really? I don't really, like cockroaches. I don't like cockro- I don't think anyone likes cockroaches. It, it, it does make you... Bugs in general make almost everyone uncomfortable. Yeah. And so that's a good go-to in a horror movie. And it's... Especially when they... At the end when... Okay, so explain this to me, actually. So at the end, they're all gone, and they all burst out of his body. And yeah. that's oh, horrifying. God, it was so bad. It's Have, one of the scariest things I've ever seen. Yeah, having... It really was. It was really <laughs> freaky. All these cockroaches... What did they come out of first? His forehead? Or, yeah, like, and cheek and or his something? Mouth and his, and his, his mouth. Oh, God. Ah! So were the cockroaches there? Were they in his head? Well, he runs inside his panic room, and it's uh-huh. full of them. So we get, he has, like, a heart attack when they're swarmed by him. Right, but then the final shots... So they must have all crawled inside of him afterwards. Well, well, the ones that are outside the panic room couldn't have got in there. So I started thinking, are these real? Oh, is it just a delusion? Yeah, is this all a delusion? Right, maybe that, I guess that's what we're supposed to think. What's, what's the truth? There's, it could go either way. There's a really fantastic film called Bug with Michael Shannon and Ash, Ashley Judd. Yeah, from the director of The Exorcist. Oh, is it? Yeah. And, and the whole movie basically takes place in a hotel room where they think there's bugs under their skin. And the whole time you're watching it, you don't know if they really, there really are bugs under their skin or if they're just crazy or on, they're drug addicts. Yeah. And so that's what it made me think of. I was thinking, is this... Super OCD, crazy Howard Hughes guy actually seeing bugs, or is he losing it? I think it was deliberately ambiguous. I think oh, yeah. it was. I think it was just let's put a bunch of bugs on screen that'll gross people out. And it works. Yeah. I think it works overall, right? And those bugs they they didn't have. They were imported from Guatemala. Okay. Those are were all real cockroaches, of course. They're not fucking CGI cockroaches right. in 1982. But it's oh, that would have been interesting. Oh God! If they were CGI. <laughs> they would have had to animate them. Yeah, it'd just be like the game Centipede. Yeah, <laughs> just a bunch of those all over the place. <laughs> That's horrifying. Yeah. Um, so I, they, I noticed there was those uh, hissing ones, the big ones. Yeah, they're hissing cockroaches from Guatemala. They all were. Yeah. Well, there were some, some different. There were a lot of nuts and raisins. <laughs> that were just, you know, if they're out of focus. Just I guess that's why some looked there. different to me. <laughs> yeah, some so, looked some <laughs> looked like a nice hike. <laughs> I kept thinking about how once you get a cockroach infestation, they're notoriously hard to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Where was this filmed? Like, how did they get make sure they didn't? So yeah, so they're 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 like, imported from. They brought them in from Guatemala. They were not able to obtain an export permit for them, so they were imported on a temporary permit, which I don't know what that means because huh. what's the that's, point that it illegal. seems like the whole point of these permits is to keep the cockroaches out right you ship um, them anyways and then just take care of the paperwork later so before and after each shot they had to count every one of them holy shit and, really yeah and keep uh, really meticulous records they had to track how many of them died oh my god and then when they weren't shooting they were stored in these styrofoam cartons kept inside a van that was filled with carbon dioxide to what keep is, them what does just, that do? it just like knocks them out. Then Makes they're them just sleep. Yeah. 
Wow, that that kind of blows my mind. That makes this this seemed like it would be easy to film, but that means this was nightmarishly like calculated yeah. to film. Yeah, they were counting. There was thousands they were counting of cockroaches. Them. Yeah, there was thousands of them. They counted them. Wow. God, I had a job once where we had cockroaches. Okay. I won't explain it. Like we had for demonstration purposes, we had these hissing cockroaches in a, an oh, aquarium. Okay. And and my boss was being very uh, overexcited. She was, you know, probably a, a late middle-aged woman who just got real excited sometimes. Okay. And was like kind of running around and not paying attention and knocked over the aquarium and they and like the three of them started to walk away. Uh-huh. And I'm like, "Get them." Cuz obviously we don't need a right. hissing cockroach infestation at work. And she is like doing the classic like hands in the Panicking. air screaming thing. <laughs> and I just I like I took a deep breath and I was just like, "Fuck." And I had to grab them and put them back in the thing. Oh. So I only had to touch them for a second, but I was I did not oh, enjoy that. Yeah. No, that, that makes one me bit. feel gross. Yeah. And they're the huge ones, right? Yeah. <laughs> Why do you think people are so horrified by bugs? We're so much bigger than them. We can crush yeah. them. They're smaller than puppies. We're not scared of puppies. Well, they're, they're real gnarly looking. Are they, they're really just angular. Just because they're so al- alien looking? Yeah, they're alien looking. They're, they're sharp and pointy and they have no personalities i mean they're really just a, a bunch of electric impulses oh yeah they're biological machines yeah and uh and then thinking like, of spiders horrify me just thinking about yeah, that yeah thinking about how they're just terminators basically that are yeah. alive and then we've after all this time of human evolution and civilization and we've built these homes and these walls and floors around us and those little fuckers still get in still get in we built we you pay Hundreds of thousands of dollars uh-huh. for a shelter to right. keep them out. Right. All you want, you don't want wind and rain and bugs, and they still get yeah, in to your home. In. Yeah, that, that's why I was thinking the whole time I was watching this. How how did they not make sure that the the studio wasn't filled? Like the next day, yeah. like oh we, or not the next day, like a few months later, George Romero gets a call and and some studio heads like, well, we got the entire building infested with cockroaches. Yeah. And, Giant Guatemalan And guess hissing. which kind they are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we <laughs> tested them. These are not Florida panhandle cockroaches. <laughs> How do you keep them from just running off? Maybe they had nets set up. Maybe they're trained. Maybe, Maybe they were luring them with cockroach well, food. Well, they, they must have built the set. Maybe they built it thinking, like, we have to make this so there's no cracks, there's no yeah. vents, there's nothing. So yeah. it could have been completely, basically built like a giant aquarium. Yeah. Which makes sense, because it was a big... I don't know. It seemed like just a room they painted white, though. Some of it. I don't know. Hmm. I guess we're overthinking this. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's their problem. <laughs> yeah. Our job is to just enjoy the cockroaches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't have to solve this. Yeah. It's been solved. It was solved 35 years yeah, ago. Yeah, we got to take off that mysteries of the mysterious mindset where yeah. we're trying to solve this. <laughs> yeah. No, they, they deal with the cockroaches. We deal with being entertained. Yeah. Um, so then the epilogue, they, the, mm-hmm. the two garbage men find the, the comic. Yep. They're flipping through it. They see the x-ray specs. They see Charles Atlas. And then an advertisement for a voodoo doll that has already been redeemed. Oh, I like this. I sure really enough, this dad is <laughs> suffering neck pain. <laughs> and little Joe Hill's up there yep. stabbing that voodoo doll. Stabbing needle. So did he kill his father? Or oh, it just ends. Oh, he sure did. Did he, did he end up Well, dying? I mean, it just ends, yeah. but he was really sure in bad dead. shape. Yeah, killed his father. He was taking needles to the neck of the voodoo doll. Like... Which is totally normal. Your father takes away one of your comic books. He deserves to die. 
That's all there is to it. That's what Fight for Comics is all about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is, you know, actually... On screen. Sometimes people asked us what that name meant, and we had a, sort of some nebulous answers. Mm-hmm. This is a textbook example of a boy fighting for comics. That's right. On screen. And yeah. how ironic that he's fighting for comics on screen, and then we would later have a podcast of that name where we talk about his comics. Wow. That's not oh, ironic. Wow. Is that ironic? No, the, that's one of those bootstrap paradoxes. That's exactly it. Mm-hmm. It is. That's like one of those time travel paradoxes. Yeah, because we didn't know he was fighting for that comics. That is pretty trippy, though. Yeah. When you put it that way, it's like yeah. a bit, it's one of those. Uh, that uh, Escher sort of infinity circle eight Those stairways. Thing. Oh, that circle, yeah, with a mm-hmm. paper where it's like all it just goes in a full circle, man. Yeah. So what? If you anything, think? if anything, this proved everyone right. The comic books make you a sociopathic, violent kid. It does that? Uh, d- d- yeah, yeah, that's his father w- should have taken away the comics earlier, actually. <laughs> yeah, and he might still be alive. <laughs> yeah. So what'd you think overall of it? Oh, it's good. It's it's if you're good. if you want a horror movie that will horrify you, mm-hmm. this is it. It gets you on a very visceral level. Yeah. For me anyway. I mean, bugs and skin stuff is my big thing. Stephen King's pretty good at that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it did have a lot of the he he's able to think of horrifying things that are a little bit more horrifying than just the normal horrifying. Yeah. Weird baboon. He kind of kind of missed the boat on the weird baboon. That one, he had to fill a bit of time. But sometimes you just got to go with the classics. And that one probably read a lot better than it translated to film. Yeah, totally. I'll bet that's a good story. Yeah. Which which is a huge problem of, like, that's the It TV series. Yeah. Its main problem was going from book to film. Like, the the new film, they just made made shit up. So it's like, this is how movies work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it makes sense. You know, not everything can... Can be some mind blowing concept. Sometimes mm-hmm. just a giant monster is good enough. Yeah, it's true, but not not this time. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> so yeah, man, we got one more week. It's Halloween. I, I say we keep the ball rolling. Yeah, no we're apologies. Doing, we're doing Creep Show two, we're last minute be- edition. Yep. To the let's do it. Creep Show two to the plan. We just laugh and drink a sprite and take a shower. 